everyone. My name is Catherine Gorley, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Injury Prevention Academy, a podcast brought to you by Dorn Companies, the country's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Dorn is committed to reducing costs of healthcare and workers' compensation, as well as reducing lost productivity, which has resulted in over $120 million in savings over the last 21 years for our clients. Joining us today is Maria uh, Elena. Uh, Maria has almost two decades of experience in aerospace physiology instruction, human factors analysis for mishap investigation, and safety trend analysis. All of that experience culminated in the last five years of her Air Force career as the Chief of Human Factors Division of the Base Safety Office and the leader of the then one-of-a-kind human performance team there. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. I'm really happy to be here. No, thank you so much. And, and I really look forward to, to hearing some of your insights uh, concerning some of the uh, fatigue management and the safety uh, that, that you've really learned over those years in the military. Yes, absolutely. And that's exactly what I wanted to emphasize too, is that it was learned over the entire career. I certainly didn't start out talking about fatigue as much, but Yes, it's been a journey. Absolutely, and you spent 20 years working for the Air Force. So, so can you expand on truly what that work entailed and how fatigue plays such a large role in military safety? Absolutely, and one of the things that is interesting is that when I started out in the military in the Air Force as an active duty officer right out of mm -hmm. ROTC, is mm -hmm. as an aerospace physiologist and we talked about fatigue but at a very low level as far as one of the aspects of stress that can affect performance now since that time we have now come to understand just how much fatigue affects performance and that it's not just something that's nice to talk about but it is an underpinning of performance and should be addressed in and of itself for sure mm -hmm. yeah but, and so, and, and that and fatigue, I mean, that that can really affect every single thing that, that someone, especially in the military, does. Yes, definitely. Uh, it affects everything that we do as humans in general. It affects mm -hmm. things from our personal relationships to how well we remember things to how aware we are of the space around us, our own proprioception, our balance, our gait. All of those things are affected by fatigue. And when we're talking about folks who are high performers, as most military people are, in various career fields, not just aviation, fatigue definitely has some very salient consequences that we want to prevent. Absolutely. And you you worked um, through, throughout your career in the Air Force. You trained actually over 4,500 pilots at various stages of their careers, mm -hmm. from students to seasoned pilots. And I know that pilot fatigue and crew fatigue is such a huge concern in both the military and, and even, even in commercial aircraft. So how how did that how did that approach to fatigue truly truly change during that time and how have you seen it kind of continuing to evolve? Yes. It's a different and I wouldn't say that it changes from in an air crew's lifetime, I think it's it's more that the emphasis of fatigue in their own personal lives and how they assess it and mm -hmm. appraise it 
changes as somebody matures. For instance, when I taught student pilots, and that's the 23 to 25 age year group, we have folks coming right out of college, right out of the academy. And between the ages of 18 and 25, most of us have are under what I call this cloak of invincibility, especially when you have gone through the rigors of military training, we feel invincible, we feel like we can do everything, and we don't really appreciate the things that can affect our performance as much as we do later on in life. Later mm -hmm. on in life, mature air crew are now navigating family lives, perhaps more complicated workscapes, more responsibilities in various areas, and they're finding that their lack of sleep, based on old habits that were established, is going to affect their performance. If anything, it's going to affect how they feel first and foremost. And then they may notice some performance decrements that will kind of light the light bulb and kind of go, hmm, you know, what's going on here? Right, and I know that when, as you were uh, training these, um, these pilots, you were also developing safety protocols for those high level uh, combat aviation crews. And I'm sure that there was well, I'm I'm not sure. Was there a difference in how you approach fatigue with these two different groups? Yes. Well, with the first group with 18 to 25 that with airmen that were either pilots themselves or air crew in multiple air crew positions that don't necessarily actually fly the aircraft but are support air crew that are also crucial in mm -hmm. crew air and crew um, aircraft. It's, a, it's more of an education and trying to help them understand what some of the habits are that they can implement now and how some of their decisions and behaviors affect their fatigue levels because they don't quite experience it yet. That comes a little bit later, again, as, as folks become more seasoned. And then like everything else in general, we start to understand and appraise the effects of fatigue when we see how it affects our performance, when we see how it affects our relationships. And unfortunately, in the military, as as a whole in general is when we see mishaps that are caused by fatigue. So as I went from training and teaching and classroom instruction and looking at mishap investigations and trying to really find the root cause of a mishap, fatigue, as you know, is very difficult to measure, especially in the post aspect when we're looking backwards for a couple of different reasons. One, it's a very subjective experience. When you ask someone how tired they are, they're kind of tired, but we don't understand exactly what that means when it comes to our performance. When we do a mishap investigation, we do ask sleep history, but it really involves the previous 72 hours of a person's life. And in 72 hours, yes, you can experience fatigue, you can experience acute fatigue specifically, but we can get a sense or a feel for that person's baseline level of fatigue or how well rested they are on a regular level. So it's a different thing to say that someone with in their 72 hours only got five, six hours of sleep in those three nights versus someone who got five hours of sleep in those three nights, but always gets less than the ideal amount of sleep too. The effects are going to be compounded for someone who's also sitting with chronic sleep debt. And those are some of the aspects. And then of course, from those lessons learned from mishaps, one of the great things and one of the way that the Air Force does mishap investigations is specifically to get lessons so that we can prevent similar mishaps from happening again. And then as I grew to learn this, it was easier to incorporate this training into the student for the students that I was teaching because these are real world, applicable, very pertinent examples of, of people that they probably know or an environment that they're very familiar with. 
Right. And and I know that, you know, when, when people think of fatigue, like you said, they, they think of, oh, well, you know, maybe I didn't get as much sleep last night. But the overarching fatigue, it can really create anything from a slowed reaction time at work, um, very easily um, distracted, your decision-making uh, sorry, decision-making abilities are, are reduced. And that can be really compounded, especially as it becomes one of those, those kind of chronic issues that, mm -hmm. that start to affect your daily work life. Right, and daily life in general. If we think about how we greet each other even, right? We often say, start out with, hey, how you doing? And our go-to response is, I'm tired. And mm -hmm. we accept that. I'm like, yeah, man, me too. You know, we're all tired. That's the, yes. that's the status. We're all working at this very depleted baseline. And the thing about fatigue is that the more fatigued we are, the less we are capable of assessing just how tired we are. It's it, the comparison to alcohol consumption is, is familiar for a lot of us in the fatigue world, that there have been studies that compare it directly to alcohol inebriation. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how you can describe it. You, it's very difficult to ask a person who's been drinking, what do you think about alcohol content is right now? I was like, oh, I feel good, <laughs> right? But with fatigue, it, we, don't, we cannot objectively measure impairment ourselves. There are ways that we can look at it, but it's very difficult to gauge. So I, I apologize. I don't think I completely answered the previous question. When it comes to incorporating this information into programs, it is helpful to have case studies and examples that people can relate to. And then yes. when it comes to what kind of program that's going to depend on the, the type of mission, the type of job, what the context is going to be. Do you have shift workers? Do you not have shift workers? what are what are the possibilities within the things that you can control and mm -hmm. of course looking at various aspects of it from the organizational level to the supervisory level and then to the tactical or employee level there are various things that you can do at those different levels that will all lead to a better fatigue risk management program which is what we want to see it doesn't have to be the same thing for everyone but there are definitely ways to apply those general principles of human biology and fatigue prevention to customized into customized programs depending on the on the organization. Yeah, and and I think having that open communication between the employees, between the supervisors, uh, you know, the the upper level senior management, they are going to experience fatigue in different ways, but they also need to have that open communication in order mm -hmm. to say, hey, I'm 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 really tired based on whether it's outside influences, whether, you know, how how can they identify that fatigue and really communicate that to mm -hmm. their team without having say that 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 block of if i tell them i'm tired they're going to take me off the line you know mm -hmm. they're they're not going to let me work that's a that's mm -hmm. that that's a major kind of fear that that a lot of people have especially in shift work they don't want to be taken off of off of work because because they didn't get a full night's sleep mm -hmm. the night before right most of us, whether military or not, we take pride in our work. We take pride in our work ethic. And mm -hmm. we want to be able to be productive contributors to our career field, to our industry, to our job, to be seen as valuable, for sure. 
And that comes at that price of often making decisions that sacrifice our sleep so that we can continue to look as if we're willing to sacrifice that in order to be present, to be productive. And, and we do that with our families too. We sacrifice sleep in order to be present with our families. And that's a huge problem for any shift worker, military or not, because life mm -hmm. happens during the day. We are a diurnal species. So unless we are made to work at night and to be awake at night at a time where it's not normal for us to be, we, we choose to sleep at night, even for folks who consider themselves night owls. That is, we can stay up later and go to bed later, but we generally are going to be sleeping during the nighttime, nighttime hours, whereas our children, our spouses are going to be awake, alert, and active during the day. So that, that's some of that, the conflict there. But as you mentioned, that stigma, there's a couple of different ways to address it. And it's important to, to start to address it so that we have this feedback back and forth with the overall goal being organizational safety and personal safety. Right. And, and how, and I know the communication is such an integral part in having that fatigue management within an organization. You know, how, how do companies really identify that fatigue? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that is, I think, such a, a, a large part in having that conversation mm -hmm. um, and also applying it to different aspects of kind of almost different aspects of the organization, whether it be mm -hmm. the physical fatigue, mm -hmm. the mental fatigue, the emotional fatigue. And I know a lot of us, a lot of people dealt with with emotional fatigue, I think even <laughs> just over the last year and a half, right. um, almost two years, um, but, right. but having that be such an integral part. Yes, definitely. And the first step is to identify the fatigue affects all of us, regardless. One of the myths of fatigue is that we can do without sleep and that the higher level performers we are, the less we can do with sleep. It's a very turn of the 1900s, a 20th century kind of mentality, right? Mm -hmm. That um, you'll sleep when you're dead and that folks who are intellectually, right. we consider intellectually gifted or superior can do without sleep. And that is an absolute myth. And I think it comes at the price of the detriment of mental, of cognitive performance and really puts a, a damper on the the, the the things we actually can achieve if we were to get sleep, if we were to prioritize sleep better. So we acknowledging, when we acknowledge that fatigue affects us at the executive level, at the supervisory level, at the tactical level, down boots on the ground, folks actually working on the line, whether it's at a smelter, whether it's driving a forklift, that everyone, but the consequences are going to be job specific. So when we address it from the top down that way, when leadership acknowledges that they value rest in general, it will send a message. And um, identifying if it's a problem isn't so much the, the case because acknowledging that fatigue can be an issue regardless is the first step. And then how does it affect you? And that's where a company like Solaris can come in and look at a needs gap analysis and see specifically where your fatigue issues may be, where there are, there are there is room for better scheduling practices that take biology into consideration. And one of the things that this company does well is to look at contextually what is possible for the specific industry that they're looking at versus taking science and saying, well, this is what you have to do, because that's a really good way to 
to get a big no thank you from someone because it, it doesn't speak to their needs it doesn't speak to their unique situations what they can mm -hmm. and can't do right and um, i know that dorn has a program called alert meter where it's very individual for the person you know we it's a gamified system where employees can can establish that baseline like this is this is where they they, they have been in the last couple of days this is where they are and then if that starts to dip down over a certain day whether they were they were up late la you know the night before the baby mm -hmm. wouldn't stop crying there was a really really great game on last night didn't get to bed <laughs> till two you know there there are different aspects of it but that system can can alert supervisors can create that communication and have it be something that you can actually identify but also fix you know let's rotate that person from the assembly line from using the forklift that day and i think finding those those fatigue root causes mm -hmm. actually identifying the the fatigue is happening and then what what do you do with it ultimately you know what what how do you change the conversation right about and Exactly. And expressing as a culture, as a business, as an industry, as a work site, that fatigue is bound to happen at some point for various reasons, right? Mm -hmm. um, the education piece being for the folks who are operating the heavy machinery to understand the safety aspects and the things that they are within their control and what they can do to prevent fatigue as much as possible. Because life is, is, has a multitude of reasons why we can be tired physical right. mental emotional as you mentioned but yes. what can we do that's within our control to ensure that we are giving ourselves as much opportunity to get those seven to nine hours of sleep that we need and then on the other side of it when it does happen how does management respond to it what is the culture around somebody self-identifying and saying today i don't think i am safe to work this piece of equipment and finding a, a location for that person to still be productive, perhaps finding other ways to mitigate that. If it is truly a chronic situation and we can, we can ameliorate or mitigate that risk with either a less hazardous task or implementing some other countermeasures that can help increase alertness, then we, we can still work with that person versus stigmatizing it and, and making someone not disclose and then become this quiet, accident incident waiting to happen so there's a lot of different ways to do that of course but having those two aspects of it how do we educate people then how do we address it so that it becomes pretty normal to be able to say that of course personal responsibility and organizational responsibility both of those things coming together would be the ideal situation for something like that right now have you seen because because i know you spent so many years in the Air Force, you know, so really. <laughs> well, no, I mean, 20 years is, is an amazing career. It's a lifetime. It, it's, a, yeah. it's a very long time when I think back on it, but it, it, it went by so very quickly. The looking oh, sure back, oh my goodness, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, how, how did, you know, even that communication over those 20 years kind of, kind of change? Yes, it changed, absolutely. And I'm a child of the 90s, um, so in, in the aviation world, if you allow me to use that example, because mm -hmm. that's where we saw some of the fastest changes 
an acknowledgement of fatigue for a lot of different reasons. That that crew concept, that, that small crew that flies an aircraft, the dynamics there are so important. Mm -hmm. And fatigue affects everything from communication to irritability to coordination, crew coordination to um, sensor management. So that is a rife environment for everything that could go wrong, can go wrong. <laughs> If you right. don't have someone who is able to communicate effectively, uh, navigate interpersonal communication, as well as integrate the information that's coming in from the multitude of, of sensors and displays, et cetera. So with a lot of mishaps to illustrate and underscore the point, right? the FAA's flight crew rest rules influence the Air Force's crew rest rules and mm -hmm what went from nice information to have, okay, sure, fatigue can be a problem, to let's educate on how fatigue affects us, to, okay, fatigue is a serious issue and we need to take it into account, not just in aviation, but one of my favorite examples is that I think in 2008, the Marine Corps and the Army came out with these little booklets on what fatigue was, how to prevent it, how to take naps, and when the Army and the Marine Corps are talking about fatigue and right. getting proper rest, then you know the military has started to listen because yes. their whole identity is to press regardless of the conditions. But when we start to understand that when you have a bunch of sleep deprived people, then the mission can start to suffer, then their accuracy can start to suffer, their decision making very critical life or death type of situations then yes, then, then we know, okay, this has been elevated to another level. So it's been very interesting to me to see it go from this, um, something we didn't quite fully understand, but then as NASA and the Ames Research Center started to look at it because of NASA's so many examples with their issues with fatigue and then leading up to major catastrophes. And then in oil with Exxon Valdez and, and nuclear with Three Mile Island, and then looking at other mishaps in the military, et cetera. And now we've got the world of athletic performance that looks at fatigue mm -hmm. as a foundation for performance. We have the world of cognitive performance that's looking at it as, huh, maybe there's something to this. And one of the things that's, that's interesting to me too is that we're in a world where technologically we're so advanced and we are pushing the limits of of cognitive and physical performance more and more. And there's a lot of things that we can add, that we can take, a lot of devices that can be used for you know, neural stimulation. But the one thing that is so effective, underrated, and absolutely free is sleep. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know, it's it's amazing that that the different branches of the military are really starting to to have that discussion. I mean, I I say starting that, you know, 2008. Yes. Relatively, that's that that's kind of a short time, especially when yes. you consider some of these branches have been uh -huh. around for so long. Uh, yes. But I yes. know that, you know, it's commonplace, say, in the Marine Corps, to say, "Hey, I'm absolutely exhausted. Let's let's chug a an energy yes. drink." Yes. Well, that's going to affect everything that you do that day and the sleep right. that you get that night. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's finding those 
those habits that individual people have. It's finding the, the overall kind of focus that they have throughout the day and finding the fatigue that can, that can actually come from that. Right. It's also helping folks to tie that back into their performance at work or something that matters to them because we, we can get into, and I fell into this quite often too, is especially depending on, on what level someone is at. If you have a brand new, that 18 to 25 year group, right? They're existing mm -hmm. on energy drinks. That is a phenomenon for the past yes. 10 plus years now since they came online with Red Bull and then things just got worse from there. Um, no mm -hmm. offense, Red Bull, but it, um, it, it, they're, they're pretty powerful, especially when um, you see, you know, some of these young Marines, young, young soldiers, uh, young pilots who are just like, all right, well, I finished uh, this one energy drink. I'm going to have another one. Right. And it's not just the, it, it comes down to understanding how caffeine works and doesn't work and how other ingredients in those energy drinks work and do not work. One of the things that folks drink the energy drinks for is the sensation of physiological arousal. It's the feeling as though they are alert and yes, you feel much more stimulated. However, things like decision-making, proper risk assessment, reacting and being able to adapt to novel situations is not something our brain is good at doing when it is in a sleep deprived state. Research has shown that caffeine is good for endurance and even for strength type of activities. It's also helpful if you're tired and you have, you're um, conducting or, or doing something that is well, well, you, you're well, <laughs> well skilled, <laughs> excuse me, right. that you practice, something that's well learned, that it's a very well ingrained habit pattern. If you drink coffee, you can still execute because it's, it's almost like in an automaticity type of level. But if you are presented with a new situation, have to make decisions on the fly and something that is unfamiliar, caffeine does not help in those situations. Right, and, and understanding that, you know, if you have those regulatory sleep patterns, if you understand where the underlying causes of your individual type of like fatigue are coming from, mm -hmm. you can have those, the, that, that cup of coffee, maybe that energy drink and still be able to, to go throughout your day and understand those new situations. Mm -hmm. Yes. Especially when it comes to people in like shift work where one one day can be very different from the other. Mm -hmm. For sure. And understanding if you are to drink caffeine or an energy drink, that it is in addition to sleep. It is not as a substitute for sleep. I equate it to putting a Band-Aid on a carotid wound. It's not going to do a whole lot. No. You feel like you're doing something but it's not doing what you think it's doing. It's certainly not going to fix the problem. It's going right. to sometimes mask symptoms, uh, but mostly make you feel like you did something. Right, instead of actually identifying the, well, maybe I should just go to sleep a little bit earlier. Right, right. And when we talk about folks and when we talk about personal decision-making, I learned, as my own family grew and as I had multiple things pulling me in different directions, that of course, mm -hmm. our the person that we see at work, that's not all that they do. It's not just work. When you go home, whether you have human children or, or furry children, then you mm -hmm. have other responsibilities. You have a household to maintain. You may have a hobby or a, a sport 
that you want to participate in because these aspects of life are also important. It's a matter of understanding that at all of those things, your performance in all of them, down to interpersonal relationships, emotional regulation, communicating effectively, talking and listening is going to be affected by how well rested we are. Absolutely. Um, and now I know that uh, part of, I think, and especially as, as we're both sitting at a desk right now, you know, <laughs> um, um, so, you know, part of fatigue really can tie into the field of ergonomics as well, whether or not you're feeling comfortable while you're doing the job at hand and how sometimes if you have several days over the course of a week where you're not comfortable, where you're having those those pains, say, at, you know, at a desk where where your neck is just constantly hurting, say, because mm -hmm. you, you don't have your computer at the right level, that, mm -hmm. that can affect a lot of things too. Yes, definitely. And ergonomics is the business of optimizing a work environment to make sure that there is few obstacles to us being productive and doing our job pain-free as possible. And absolutely, all those things are very, very important. And the thing is that fatigue is not, or fatigue management is not separate from those. It will actually help increase the effectiveness of those countermeasures that we've used. For instance, a very simple aspect of workplace safety is where we have cords, right? Where do we have tripping hazards? Yes. But if you are tired enough, you are your own tripping hazard. Our balance, <laughs> our proprioception, Simply yes. being bipedal becomes a challenge when we're tired enough. When we're tired enough, our, our posture starts to deteriorate. So our own ability to maintain an erect and properly ergonomic posture is going to decrease as we start to just become tired. So those countermeasures that we have, that the company has spent money on, now become less effective as the human being starts to become tired. And it, it's not an either or thing for, for sure. It, it's a matter of understanding how the two things play together. And we tend to think, and there are different ways that we become fatigued, right? Obviously, if, ergon mm -hmm. ergon if ergonomics are missing entirely, then that is another aspect of fatigue. But if you only have ergonomics without a fatigue risk management, we're only taking care of one aspect of fatigue because fatigue, as we know, is physical, it's psychological. And of course, the emotional ties into the psychological because emotional regulation takes energy. Yes. Right. Now, a lot of, I think the, the conversation around that, that physical fatigue, around mental, emotional fatigue, um, a lot of it, I believe, is a little more kind of North American based, kind of mm -hmm. American and Canadian. Mm -hmm. You're seeing a lot of different, at least at least I'm seeing a lot of different uh, fatigue discussions happening within this, this hemisphere. Mm -hmm. uh, so how does the approach to fatigue management even differ, say, in like places like South America? Mm -hmm. You know, is it is it a communication issue? You know, how how is the global community? kind of coming together to approach fatigue. Wow, well, you opened the aperture quite a bit there, Catherine. I know. <laughs> you know because, uh, one of the things that I learned doing my job as an aerospace physiologist and a human factors person, again, these things came in like stages for me. Mm -hmm. In one aspect of my job, I had an audience, a built-in audience, uh, students came to me and it was a very academic setting. So I could tell people about best practices. I could tell people about the biology and what you should do in general, 
everybody needs seven to nine hours of sleep. We should all be almost working during the day. That, uh, working at night is bad, etc. Right. But as I started to delve more into the human factors aspect of it, understanding context is important. So whether it's at the national level, geographic level, cultural level, because Latin America is, is a huge, vastly, rapidly growing area for innovation, for entrepreneurship, and certainly mining and other industries are growing in the continent, which is wonderful to see. And learning to navigate that area with cultural sensitivity understanding that most countries are following the western the united states model right so mm -hmm. what we do often is what they have been emulating is because they seem to work for us and then adjusting and, and trying to understand what are some of the different cultural things so for instance i grew up with siestas as recently as when i lived in honduras i was a child in honduras and i remember that very mm -hmm. clearly and i remember my uncle my grandfather coming home in the middle of the day to rest and be with the family have lunch and then go back to work mm. okay but that is something that's going away in around the world especially more industrialized areas because we have adopted a very u.s canadian ethic of 24 7 operations where again sleep is for sleep is an entirely personal thing it's not to be done at work etc right so it's it's trying to understand how we can again, work in the context, but also taking some of the, maybe capitalizing on some of those cultural aspects that may not be completely gone and validating that again, and understanding that that is something that has a nice rich history in Latin America. I mean, we could encourage it in ways that are not going to affect productivity, but can be incorporated and, and spoken to. You know? It'll be interesting to see how this all does happen as we start to talk about it more and more and how it affects performance and how we can apply it to so many different industries and, and cultures, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because even in like say, you know, 50 years ago in France, a typical work day would be you'd work in the morning, you'd go home for two hours mm -hmm. and have lunch, you could rest, and then you would return to work. So so, so that's right. really cool that 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 you saw that in Honduras as well. You know, and I know you're starting a long time ago, but yes. <laughs> right? yes. But but you know, you um pe people saw it very, very recently, and then like you said, things are starting to go to a little bit more of a you know, eat lunch as fast as you can and then run mm -hmm. back to work. And I and I know um at at Solaris, you're kind of starting to work with those kind of um South American kind of clients, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and finding that that balance between kind of the letting your body rest and then going back to work um, without compromising kind of how you feel your job is doing you know because i feel right. like you know like you said that's that's a big part of the conversation you know right. it's interesting to see it kind of approached as a global front yes and being respectful of some of those cultural differences because right. while in in one culture there may be pride and i think in all cultures cultures is pride and in, in work but in in some it's seen um for instance having more than one job and we don't even have to go as far as latin america for that mm -hmm. a lot of people right yeah. now are trying to provide for their families 
and working multiple jobs in order to do so. And, and sleep is one of the things that's easily sacrificed as we try to provide for our children and, and make sure that they have a, as comfortable or safe a life as possible. So respecting cultural differences, respecting priorities, and even in that, emphasizing that overall, the investment made in getting one more hour of sleep, one more hour of sleep, is going to have such repercussions that later on in life, or even not that later, maybe even next week, you'll be a safer driver, you'll be a more engaged parent, you'll be a more a less stressed partner, perhaps, and be able to navigate those choppy waters of relationships a little bit more easily. Those right. kinds of things is is yeah. what values where in that person's or that in that um, you know person's life can that be effective. Of course, we're talking about the individual aspect of it. And, and, um, and then certainly the performance aspect of it when it comes to their job too. Right, and, I, and kind of like, like we've been talking about that communication aspect of, of having those conversations, having, mm -hmm. having fatigue management be such an integral part of a company's day-to-day -day kind of respect towards, towards yes. their workers is, mm -hmm. I, is I think so important and something that, that I think a lot of companies have seen even over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I think it's every employee, especially now, uh, as we're seeing this, this with the last two years has done, when we have less people present, every single person has always been valuable, but now I think it has been underscored that every healthy person is incredibly valuable. We want to keep them healthy, want to keep them that way, for sure. Yes. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Maria. Um, I, I know that you know, so, so, so much of, of your, of your kind of approach to fatigue is really creating that culture um, within an organization, you know, having Absolutely. those open discussions. And um, I guess the, the, the last question that I kind of want to discuss is really how you feel that companies can create that culture of wellness. Yep. That's a very good question. I think one of the first ways to do that is to really ask your employees is to have, whether it's internal or external by having a company like Dorn and or Solaris come in and look at the aspects of wellness, what is affecting your people? And then of course, looking at looking internally as to what can we be doing better with utilizing human biology in order to foster an environment that's going to keep our folks healthy, that is going to genuinely and not just superficially demonstrate that you care, right? What, what kind of things are going to be effective for your industry, for your people? What do your people value? For instance, Google and, and other companies like that have gained a lot of um, fame or attention for their work environments, right? The, the open spaces and the all of the incredibly the amenities that they supply for their employees. It's not possible for every company, nor is it necessary no. for every company. And right. having those things doesn't always mean that the company actually cares. I'm not talking about Google, but in general, we can certainly have the appearance of caring, and then we can do the real work of looking at how we care for folks. So doing a needs gap analysis, such as what Solaris can do, looking at their fatigue culture, what their scheduling practices are, how they can affect, 
going in and doing an ergonomic analysis and seeing what can be affecting physical fatigue too, what can be affecting the, uh, and if there are a wellness programs, what's affecting their employees' ability to use them? Mm -hmm. You can have these things, but if nobody's using them, well, well why? Right? Taking right. a look at why folks may or may not be taking advantage of those things. I know some companies offer gym memberships or have exercise equipment around, but if folks are tired and they are working 12-hour shifts on a chronic level and they don't see their families, they're going to go home and see their families. So then it comes down to multiple things. It may be a nice thing to have, but genuinely looking and taking the time, investing the effort in getting answers and then addressing those is a good place to start. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Maria, for, for joining me today in this discussion. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. I could certainly ramble on forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but, but it, it's such an interesting conversation to have, you know, and it's so prevalent. It's so, it's so kind of timely today that I feel like a lot of mm -hmm. companies are, are taking those strides and really yeah. actively creating that culture for their employees. Definitely. And one last thing I will say, and I said mm -hmm. it before, but it's free. Sleep is free. And whatever we do, it will enhance the effectiveness of caffeine, if you think about it, because now it's actually right. a performance enhancer. <laughs> yes. It will absolutely enhance whatever therapeutic modality that you're trying to use. If you have incorporated things like what, what Dorn um, it incorporates and, and advocates for, you know, just body wellness, massage, exercise programs. Sleep will definitely make sure that they are most effective. And mm -hmm. certainly having a workforce that is more, not just alert appearance wise, but can also be more responsive and reactive and think creatively and innovate is, is hugely valuable for something that can generally be a minimal investment. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for joining Dorn's Injury Prevention Academy. Uh, tune in next time to learn more about the innovative steps and the programs taking place in today's world of safety. Thank you. Thank you.